In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a Harvard Medical School professor says in his professional opinion as a psychoanalyst, members of the radical progressive left suffer from mental illness. And further, they may be part of a larger communist conspiracy against Western civilization. I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but I can see a potential conspiracy in what is going on. I can see that the agenda that the progressive left has is one of a Marxist ideology. And if it was in some way planted here by foreign powers uh, with a long-term plan for how to unravel the United States of America, they're doing a wonderful job of it. The Horrible Movie Podcast is a weekly show hosted by Jack Altermatt. Jack invites a guest who brings a horrible theater-released movie to dissect. Jack and his guest take you through the highs and lows of the movie and what makes it horrible. New movies, older movies, cult classics, or box office busts. No movie is spared or safe from the Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a fun show with clean language, and it's available through Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, StudioDNA.media, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood, doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. So I have to tell you, Zachary, my son, is feeling a little down today. Yesterday, we found a tortoise on our property. And Zachary asked if we could keep Bob, as he named him, as a pet for the rest of the summer, and we agreed. So we told him, 
do a little research and find out how to care for Bob. So he built an enclosure after doing some research and he, he read about the proper care and the diet for the tortoise. Well, Zachary decided to go for a quick hike up the mountain road to see if he might find a friend for Bob, another tortoise. And he asked me to keep an eye on Bob. He gave me this one simple job. And of course, I screwed it up. I didn't realize tortoises could move that quickly. I went to check on Bob. It was only 10 minutes and he had escaped. So in a panic, I scoured all six acres of the property several times, no tortoise. And of course, Zachary returned home from his hike and he was devastated. And it's all my fault. So I'm going to keep searching uh, until I can find Bob or a suitable replacement. What else can I do? Dad screwed up. It happens. And I'm sure some of you can relate. All right. My guest on this episode warns that America is at a crossroads and its future success or decline will depend on whether its citizens are sufficiently informed about what is driving the current conflicts in society. My guest is a psychoanalyst who has grown increasingly convinced that Americans, especially those on the progressive left, are succumbing to neurotic, obsessional, and quasi-delusional modes of thought. This psychological transformation has been slowly developing, he says, over the last half century, and corresponds temporarily to the ascendancy of feminism and the civil rights movement. But it has accelerated and has taken on a toxic quality due to social pressures mediated, he says, by high-speed digital technologies. Dr. Richard Creighton is a physician at the Massachusetts General Hospital, a psychoanalyst with certification in both psychoanalysis and Jungian analysis, and a professor at Harvard Medical School. He holds graduate degrees in chemical physics and religion. Dr. Creighton is the author of more than 200 articles in the scientific literature and six textbooks, including the Herald Dream, the Placebo Response, Pathologies of the Mind-Body Interface, and the Parting the Ways, Esoteric Judaism in the Psychologies of Freud and Jung. He lectures in the U.S. and internationally and maintains a private practice in psychoanalysis in Boston. His latest book is called Out of Control, Apocalyptic Psychology in the Age of Trump. Richard Creighton, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Let's begin with a definition. What do you mean by apocalyptic psychology? Oh, apocalyptic, that's, that's an interesting term. It occurs in, in two different ways. I, I think the way most of us tend to think of it is, is, is as an impending uh, catastrophic change. Uh, but it, from the point of view of scholars, it's a particular type of literature or a particular mindset that occurred uh, in the first century before Christ in the last and the century following that. So it's a particular mindset and a particular literature that's associated with that mindset. And essentially it, it does imply that uh, things have gotten to a point where there's not uh, much room for forgiveness, if you will, uh, from a religious point of view, and that uh, there is a, a judgment that's likely to take place uh, in the future 
with respect to the behavior of, of mankind. If we're talking about a moral superiority taken by w- one group over another, one might mm-hmm. well look to the, the progressive left, who by and large, I would, I would suggest, are largely materialistic or secular. It seems to be coming from that quarter. This is not a monopoly of the religious right. This is political correctness, and, and uh, you, you can't say that, and you can't do that. This all seems to be coming from the left. Well, it, it sounds like it's a secular idea, but it's really not. Um, and the fact of the matter is, I, I think most people in society in America are, are secular in some way or another. Um, and that's been going on for hundreds of years since uh, the Enlightenment. But the fact of the matter is, you know, secular thought is, is informed uh, and sometimes informed unconsciously, if you will, uh, by religious ideas. And it includes religious ideas of morality. Uh, and the major difference uh, in the right, if you will, the progressive left, uh, is really a, a difference in their moral vision. Um, and so they're both moral, uh, but there are differences in their morality. There are some areas of overlap and some substantial differences. And those differences actually date back to the differences uh, that occurred with the early church uh, and uh, Judaism. Uh, so the, the, the church was much more interested in questions of the spirit of the law, if you will, rather than the letter of the law. Uh, And that's largely, I think, what's playing out in America today. You've got the progressive left uh, that's much more concerned with uh, being compassionate, being loving towards uh, who they choose to love, if you will, uh, and and not very interested in enforcing the laws at the border and, and elsewhere. Whereas uh, people on the right uh, have a, a more legalistic view of what needs to take place. It's not that they're not compassionate, they are. And that's actually been studied by some uh, research psychologists. Uh, there's areas of overlap, but, but the conservative right uh, is concerned about the enforcement of laws. It's concerned about security. It's concerned about traditional values. And that's where the break is. But they're really both coming from religious perspectives. Interesting. But but you mentioned, uh, you know, you were once uh, a Democrat or a liberal. Uh, I think, you know, many of, us would, many of us would describe ourselves as, uh, you know, small L liberals in, in terms of, I mean, liberals, classical liberals used to stand for freedom of expression, freedom of, of speech, uh, private property, yes. privacy, these sorts of things. Um, what yes. has happened in in your estimation to the Democratic Party or liberal liberalism uh, writ large? Well, you know, if I can take the liberty of discussing uh, psychiatry in in the same way that you just talked about what used to be liberal, what used to be psychiatry, I think would view what's going on in America today on the progressive left as mental illness. Um, uh, Unfortunately, you know, the definitions of what is acceptable behavior have changed as well. Uh, so it's no longer the, the case. My feeling about the progressive left is that uh, they are suffering some a degree of existential insecurity, uh, which speaks in part, I think, to what's been going on with, in the digital age with the Internet and the breakdown in 
both religious values and relational uh, values. Uh, there are many people who I see in, in therapy now who really don't have relationships other than what's uh, going on on the Internet. So that's, that's one piece of, of, of the puzzle. As I said, the breakdown of religious values is another piece of the puzzle. And there's a level of perfectionism uh, amongst uh, many young people uh, that has bred a, a, a level of uh, hypersensitivity, if you will, uh, that allows for no criticism, uh, criticism that's constructive or, or non-constructive. You've got this generation that you know people have referred to pejoratively as snowflakes, but it's real. And so what you have is a, a, a the idea of the imposition of a political correct society, in which which essentially is designed to stifle freedom of speech. So people no longer can bear hearing what they don't want to hear. And it's become institutionalized, uh, particularly in the in the world of academia and in many other places as well. I think we're seeing it constantly going on in society. So uh, you you can't both have free speech and a population that's unable to listen to it or bear, you know, what feels too harsh for them to hear. You, you are of that age that, that you took part in, in some of those protests in the 60s and on the college campuses across America, people were protesting for greater freedom of speech, greater freedoms. Uh, yes. and, and now we see almost the exact opposite. It seems we have a generation that hates free speech. They hate, uh, they hate um, uh, capitalism. Do you do you consider what's happening an existential threat to Western civilization? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's something that if if, if it continues in this direction and it's not reversed, uh, I don't think we'll be looking at Western civilization as as we knew it for centuries now. And absolutely. The, the title of the book again: Out of Control: Apocalyptic Psychology in the Age of Trump. This didn't start with Trump, but has he exacerbated it? Has he brought out, let me, uh, if I could use the term, has he brought out the worst in the progressives? I think he's brought out an unconscious level of fear in the progressives. I think the progressives are a hypersensitive group at this point. Uh, and they are essentially frightened that someone is going to take away their perfectly controlled uh, society. And I think that's exactly what Trump does represent. Trump is impulsive. He's brash. Uh, there are a number of problems with his style, uh, but he's very effective. Uh, and I think people on the left look at him and shudder and say whatever progress they thought they had made uh, is, is, is being threatened and they may not be able to regain power and you know, reinstitute the type of society that they thought they were working towards under Obama. Uh, and so I think Trump is a real existential threat for the left. I, I, I don't know if you would agree with this assessment, but I, I look at Trump not so much as a conservative, but as a radical anti-progressive. I think that's true. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you uh, on, on a personal level, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. I, I come from the area of Queens, uh, where Trump comes from. Uh, he seems very familiar to me. Uh, he's not at all unusual. Uh, I knew many people who were Trumpish, if if you will. Um, 
and so uh, again, I, 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 I don't see him as uh, problematic in, in any particular way. Uh, I think he's problematic in the projections of the progressive movement, you know, this constant rant about the man being a bigot and a racist. I mean, there's there's really no evidence that I've ever seen, uh, certainly in recent years, uh, to back these things up. And uh, it's it's hard to know where these ideas are really coming from. They're not coming from from his behavior. You know, one would think being in the spotlight in the Big Apple for 30 plus years that all of these um, these characteristics people are now ascribing to him would have been would have been flushed out long ago. Uh, it's interesting, you know. I, I think you, you you nailed it. I think maybe what people are seeing with Trump is he's a brash New Yorker. Uh, he's a t- he's a, yeah. he's, a, he's a he's a brash New Yorker, but there's yeah there's there's certainly no uh, no hint of as, a, as far as I can see either uh, uh, racism. He he says things at times that are inappropriate, but. Uh, um, however, I, uh, one of the other things I want to address with you is is this coalition on the left uh, of progressives we see now of, of feminists, um, um, w- along with um, uh, Muslims, uh, even mm-hmm. uh, radical uh, Islam. Uh, what what is going on there? Gays and lesbians aligning themselves with with radical Islam, if they were doing that in, you know, overseas in many of these Muslim theocracies, they'd be thrown off the tops of buildings. This is very curious to me. Disturbing is the word. Well, at the risk of being totally politically incorrect, and I, I think at this point I probably am, uh, I, I would pro- I would see the roots of the issues uh, emerging from feminism. Uh, I think feminism, which really began to emerge uh, in in a major way in the 1960s, was based on this sense uh, of uh, women having been subjugated uh, to a patriarchy and largely a white patriarchy. And uh, women have rightly, understandably, I think, had increased freedoms in society, and and I'm I'm certainly in favor of of egalitarian rights for women. But I think one of the things that one sees when you you have a group that hasn't wielded power uh, traditionally is that when they have it, uh, they don't do a very good job working with it. And I think that's true for women, and I think it's certainly true for African Americans as well. And I think that is the coalition. It's it's the coalition of of the groups that felt that they have been victimized uh, over the course of many centuries, and they've come together. And I think politically correctness, political correctness, came out of the feminist movement. Uh, it's diffused uh, into other areas of society, and so that is the coalition. Uh, it's it's minorities. It's women. At this point, they've included uh, Muslims because. They see them again as a potentially uh, potential group within society that's being treated uh, at some level unjustly. And I think what you're seeing from the progressive left is uh, the desire of these minority groups to essentially just wield power without being challenged. And so the whole idea of, of, of whiteness uh, has become challenged and, and looked at as some sort of uh, stigma. 
And what's incredible to me is that you have white men who support these views because uh, obviously they've at some level been influenced by the thought of the feminist movement. But in their support, I guess what they don't appreciate is they're essentially committing suicide. So it's a self-defeating neurotic behavior to have any white individual say that they want to stamp out whiteness. And you, you hear voices like this uh, on, on academic campuses. It's, it's quite extraordinary. It's quite neurotic. How do you... I mean, there's no mental health in it. Right, right. Uh, how do you um, respond to, you know, the ac accusations of, of white privilege? How do you combat that? Uh, I see no reason to e even have to justify it, quite, quite frankly. Uh, you know, white people have historically had, you know, the power in a number of societies. That's just the way it has been. You know, I, I'm not uh, in favor in any form, either the personal level or societal level, of, of re revising history or apologizing for the past. Uh, there's nothing that one can do about slavery in this country. I never held slaves. Nobody I know ever held slaves. Uh, and my family was not even in this country when there were slaves. So there's no reason to be apologetic. There needs to be an acceptance that there was a wrong done. I think much has been done to correct that wrong, but to continue to apologize for the fact that one is white or that slaves existed in this country is, is again, I think, a, a form of mental aberrancy. And the other very popular meme these days, uh, if I can call it that, is that, that masculinity is toxic. Uh, well, it seems to me that there is uh, a, a war against uh, particularly boys uh, going on in, in yeah. schools and, and uh, even in the workplace. There is a war against young, young men. Yes. Well, again, uh, I, I place much of the blame here with with the feminist movement. The feminist movement uh, is it's been a constructive movement in many ways, but there are elements in feminism that are clearly quite angry, and they're angry with their fathers and the patriarchy and the Western canon and men and young boys. And uh, if they would have their way, there would be no difference of the sexes. And if there was any sex, it would just be uh, a sex that was uh, essentially dominated by women. Uh, and I think that is what's going on. There's, and for any man, any young man, any older man to adopt or accept or embrace this type of mentality is really like taking a gun and putting it to your own head. Uh, there's nothing in it for uh, any man to accept this type of uh, statement about who they are. I think, you know, women need to be respected for who they are and men need to be respected for who they are. And also we need to celebrate our, our differences, our sexual differences. The differences between uh, men and women, I think, are, this, this is a, a joyful thing. And, and yet, as you say, they, they want to, there's this great leveler. Uh, they, want, they, want, they want to shear off all of the corners and the edges and make everything the same. Uh, to me, that sounds like cultural... Well, I don't, think, no? I, don't, yeah, I don't think they want to make everything the same, quite honestly. That, that may be what's being manifested 
in the speech. But essentially what they're trying to make sure of is that men never regain power over women. And I can understand that concern, but it's reached a level of paranoia and, uh, and eroticism that, as you said, you know, is, is looking to level uh, any sort of difference. And differences exist. Psychological differences between men and women are, are real. Uh, biological differences are unquestionably real. This idea that there are 33 types of gender, like in New York City, I mean, this is just totally insane. The idea that transsexuals are normal is also totally insane. And 50 years ago, it was viewed as insane. It was viewed as a delusion, which is what it is. I mean, the definition psychiatrically of a delusion is something that doesn't jibe with objective reality. There is an objective difference between men and women. We have medical doctors. Medical doctors now being fired. I think there was a case recently in Great Britain, fired because they refused to deny the existence of two genders and only two genders. Can you imagine? Well, well, this is the insanity of society, and this is where if society, if, if the elements in society don't hold their ground to disagree, it will be the end of Western civilization as we know it. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. (laughs) Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Dr. Richard Creighton, author of Out of Control, Apocalyptic Psychology in the Age of Trump, is here. What role does cultural Marxism play in this? I mean, is this out of... Karl Marx's playbook? Is this by design? Is this how you bring down a Western capitalist society? It could well be. Uh, Again, you know, I'm I'm not much one for conspiracy theories, but I can see a potential conspiracy in what is going on. Uh, I can see that the agenda that the progressive left has is, again, as you mentioned, uh, one of a a Marxist uh, ideology. And if it was in some way planted here by foreign powers uh, with a long-term plan for how to unravel uh, the United States of America, they're doing a wonderful job of it. Let's talk about the roles of uh, academia. You, you touched on this earlier, but this seems to be the great incubator. Uh, we have all of these uh, you know, women's studies groups and uh, uh, that seem to be ground zero for pumping out a lot of this nonsense, you know, the, the idea that yes. masculinity is toxic and there's white privilege and, and everyone is being oppressed and you are measured by the degree to which you are a victim. That's the currency today. What do we do about that? I, I wish I knew what we as a society could do about it. Uh, I, I know what one, I think, is obligated almost morally to do about it as an individual, and that is not to succumb to this way of thinking. Uh, the What is going on, on on college campuses and even more generalized in the entire academic uh, domain uh, is... Uh, an exercise that ultimately is uh, is undermining uh, truth and objective reality, uh, and it's extremely problematic. Uh, 
people being educated today are, are not getting the type of education that one needs to maintain a level of citizenship uh, that's proper for a country. So if you're just being fed propaganda and you're not being fed facts, uh, this is this is a major problem. If feminists. Uh, feminist thought is uh, equal, if you will, to mathematics or science or the social sciences uh, in, in general, then this is problematic uh, because it doesn't reflect, you know, the reality of what's transpiring in the world. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I, uh, I live in Boston now. I, I went to visit a place called Faneuil Hall, which is uh, out of the Revolutionary War era, and they have exhibits there, and they used to, uh, the exhibits used to reflect uh, stories about Paul Revere and Sam Adams and John Adams, etc., and, and how the revolution uh, really began, and the, the Tea Party, etc. Uh, now, if you go to, to the place, it's kind of a museum, what they have as exhibits is, you know, women and, and, and African Americans having essentially won the Revolutionary War. Uh, well, you know, it's just not true. Uh, and, you know, at best, it's a minority, a minuscule contribution to what took place historically. So history is not being taught properly. And if you don't have a proper sense of history, you have no proper sense of where things are going. In terms of Marxist thought and socialist thought, I mean, there's just never been uh, a successful example that I'm aware of uh, in any of the large countries uh, where it was tried as, as, as an experiment. It's always been disastrous. Uh, and yet somehow these people just don't seem to learn from history and it just keeps coming back and back. Getting back to, to the universities and colleges for a moment, what about the federal government stepping in and withholding funding if these institutions don't hold up First Amendment rights? Uh, there's a lot that I would like to see government in general, both the federal government and state and local governments do that they don't seem to be doing anymore. Uh, certainly, I think the federal government is in its right to withhold uh, funding from, from states that claim their sanctuary states or cities that claim their sanctuary cities and won't cooperate with the federal government. Uh, but, you know... Even more than that, you know, I'll, I'll watch television uh, and, and see these uh, Antifa groups uh, protesting on the street and, and, and assaulting people and, and assaulting uh, property. And I see no evidence of the police stepping in and, and arresting them. And I just don't understand what the problem is uh, at the law enforcement level and, and why the law is no longer being enforced in this country at all levels. Uh, documentary filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza, someone who uh, I admire, uh, mm -hmm. likes to make the, the, the parallel between Antifa and the more the radical elements of the progressive movement and fascism. Do you think that that is accurate? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's accurate. I mean, what, what they, and, and this is what's interesting uh, from the point of view of psychology. I mean, what, what you mostly hear out of the progressive left is what we refer to as projections. Uh, they, they are constantly making accusations about the people on the other side, which are essentially coming from their own ideas and their own behaviors. Uh, Donald Trump is not a fascist. 
the progressive left is fascist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Donald Trump didn't collude with the, with the Russians. I, I don't see any evidence for it, at least. But there's very good evidence, I think, at this point, that Hillary Clinton and her campaign was colluding with the Russians. And it's the type of incessant projection. And it, it's coupled almost with this concept that goes back to Nazi Germany of, 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 of a big lie. And if you tell that lie long enough to people who are ignorant enough, they will believe it. And I think that's what you what you see when you speak to people on the left. They really just don't have any sense of what's going on. I just saw an, an article in the New Yorker uh, questioning why Peter Strzok was fired, uh, suggesting that somehow there was a political politically maneuvered without any realization that this man had behaved abominably uh, in his job at the FBI. There's just no sense of what's really going on factually. And I think the press is really at fault for this because it's impossible for people to really know anymore what's true and what's not because no one is reporting facts. They're reporting propaganda. Yeah, I do want to talk about uh, the state of journalism in a moment, but you mentioned Peter Strzok. I mean, once upon a time, what he was texting would have been considered sedition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, 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 if it falls short of sedition, it's certainly uh, sufficient to see oneself fired from one's job. Uh, if I were to have sent texts like that from my workplace, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, so why people on the left are incredulous uh, that he's being fired is, is just, uh, just astounding. But, you know, I think what increasingly I find myself feeling is just astounded and flabbergasted by what the left doesn't seem to comprehend. You mentioned the state of journalism. It seems on one side we have Fox, we, and on the other we have MSNBC and CNN, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of middle ground. They just seem to be sort of talking past each other. Um, when did this really start to go off the rails in terms of reportage, as far as you can tell? I would say it really went off the rails uh, with the election of Trump or with the Trump campaign. I think it was, in the, it was clearly in the wrong direction during the Obama years. Uh, the inability of the press during Obama's presidency to report him, uh, report his his actions critically, I think, was, was the beginnings of going off the rails. But I think once Trump was elected, uh, the press no longer became a, a journalistic function, had a journalistic function any longer. It became part of the left. And the journalists have always been, uh, for the most part, inclined uh, to be on the left. That's not new. But now I think they've shed any 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 hesitancy in suggesting that they're really supporting the, the propaganda of the left uh, rather than reporting the news. I mean, they're proud of it. What is fearful, uh, what I find troubling and, f and fearful is, and I'm sure you, you feel the same way, is, is how close we are to the precipice of civil war. Uh, we're, we're almost in the midst of a, I think we may be in the midst of a civil war now, but it's not a, it's a non-shooting civil war, more or less. Uh, how close do you think we are to f a full-fledged civil war? 
Well, you know, I, I, I ponder this question a lot. I, I don't see that anybody, either on the left or the right, except for the real fringe uh, elements, uh, have much of a stomach for uh, fighting civil war. Nonetheless, I think something has to happen. This is like, uh, from a medical perspective, looking at an abscess and, and recognizing that at some point it, it needs to be drained. And whether it gets drained by uh, something that goes on at the level of a civil war or gets drained by some extra national uh, event, uh, I think one way or the other, it can't persist at this level of intensity. Do you have any, uh, is there any level of, of optimism that we can right this ship? Not unless people begin to do what they're supposed to do, and that includes the federal government, and that inclu includes the Congress, uh, unless they begin to, uh, I think, make it clear that crime, when it takes place in this country, whether it's illegal aliens entering or, or, elite, or crime uh, being being perpetrated by anyone in society, uh, unless there are proper uh, punishments and limitations, I don't see how this is going to change. I mean, there needs to be uh, the enforcement uh, uh, of the law in this country. It's, it's really gone by the wayside. Well, there is the, the law, certainly is one matter, but then there is, you know, your area of expertise, and that is the psychology uh, aspect to this, the psychological aspect. How do we begin to uh, to reach across this chasm and, and speak to progressives. I mean, you, you've given us a diagnosis, but it's, I, I don't know that we're going to accomplish anything by saying, well, you're mentally ill. You need to recognize that. That's not going to work. How do we do this? Well, well, you know, we've talked about uh, journalism. We've talked about feminism. We've talked about a number of things already. Uh, one of the things we really haven't talked about is the role that the psychotherapy community plays in what's taking place uh, in this country. Because I would say the politics of the psychotherapists in this country are, are, are way shifted towards the left. Uh, virtually all of the psychotherapists practicing uh, espouse progressive uh, psychology. And they've had a great deal to do, I think, in informing progressive psychology. This whole idea of victimhood is really coming out of uh, the, the progressive psychological uh, organizations. Uh, there is a concept in psychiatry of, of trauma being the cause of, of mental illness. And the fact of the matter is it's a concept that's never really been shored up by, by fact. Uh, undoubtedly, people who have been very substantially traumatized uh, do have consequences as a result of that. But, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists see trauma everywhere. Uh, so, for instance, I was speaking to someone the other day on the left, and they were asking me how I felt about young children being, as they put it, thrown into cages at the border, you know, with their eagle, illegal alien parents. And wasn't I upset about that as a psychotherapist? And my answer was not really, uh, I wasn't particularly upset because I didn't think the level of trauma associated with a one or two day separation from a parent was enough to uh, make irreparable changes in the psychology of that child. And there's no concept of that in the psychotherapeutic community. 
is the idea that any minor trauma somehow results in a, a major disturbance in personality. And that's, I think, what you're seeing in part from political correctness and this whole issue about stigma. Uh, it's really in, in large measure coming from the psychotherapists. And uh, you know, I, I have another book. I have another. I have another book on this topic. I mean, it's very, very difficult, as you might imagine. I used to speak very regularly at psychotherapy conferences, and now when I espouse these types of views, I mean, I, I basically have to be run out. <laughs> have to catch the next train out of town because there's a <laughs> tremendous clamor of negativity when you suggest that you know maybe not everyone has been traumatized because you know the the whole essence of psychotherapy is based on this and it's like if you have a hammer everything looks like a nail well all they have is this concept of trauma and so everyone is traumatized and so it's very problematic and so i don't think psychotherapy has anything to add at this point unless it changes its perspective right no as you say it it seems to be fueling uh the problem but but just as kind of a, la a last point, uh, how how should we, or how can we reach across this divide, and 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 start to patch things up? I mean, obviously hold our ground, not be not acquiesce, in terms of values and and uh, the rule of law. But how do we reach out to uh, progressives on the other side? I mean, many of them are are, are sort of fleeing away they're being repulsed by what they're seeing and they're they're uh, they're exiting the uh, the, the, the democratic yes. party and so forth but not enough of them clearly how do we how do we approach this well i think this is one of the areas in, in which uh, i i think uh, president trump uh, leaves something to be desired uh, i think he could if he were a different person, I'm not sure that he can because he's not. Uh, I think a different president might be able to reach out to both sides and uh, and help a bit with bringing them together. I don't think that's his natural inclination. He likes to win, and if someone wins, that means someone has to lose. And so I, I think he, he does, in, in, unfortunately, I think, contribute to the divisiveness in the country. On the other hand, he's, in my opinion, the most effective president that I can recall in my almost 70 years on the planet. So I, I think he's uh, actually done a tremendous amount uh, in the short time that he's been in office. But I don't think he's much of a healer for society. And so I, I think that's a bit of a problem. Out of control, apocalyptic psychology in the age of Trump. Uh, Richard, how do we get a copy of this book? Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, that's the best way. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Before I say goodnight to the moon over Messenia, I'm going to tell you about what's in store on the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. The spacecraft crashed on the field in the farm. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. The bodies that were in the spacecraft was in the exact way that aliens. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcast and Google Play. Coming up next, John Lennon's killer, Mark David Chapman, is up for parole for a tenth time. We'll delve deep into Chapman's mysterious past with Pepper Chomsky, the author of The One, 
Who Killed John Lennon? Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.